Are you longing for real life change and lasting impact? And more to be, we believe that is possible through a fresh encounter with God and His Word. I'm Lisa Pulliam, the founder of More to Be and host of the More to Be podcast. And I'm here to help you think biblically and live transformed, to be more like Jesus as you seek to join God in His work every day. On today's podcast, I have a brand new friend. I'm going to call her a friend already because I have a feeling that's going to come out of this. Melinda Fuller. She is a bold communicator with a passion to see people grow in their faith and for couples and families to thrive rather than survive. I just love that. Her writing has been featured in multiple print and online publications, and she offers regular encouragement at melindafuller.com, as well as on social media. You should check out her Instagram account. You can find her at melinda.fuller. Melinda and her husband, Alex, love serving the church both local and global ways. Melinda is a homeschooling mom to two spirited girls, and her family is always up for an adventure, which we're going to get to hear about today. When she's not wearing the teacher hat at home or typing furiously on her laptop, which is why she'll become a good friend, Melinda is probably (laughs) hanging out outside with her family, by the waters or in the mountains preferably, sipping coffee with a friend or hunting for treasures in a local used bookstore. Her latest and most recent book is Obedience Over Hustle, The Surrender of a Striving Heart. And I'm really excited that we're going to talk much about that book today uh, as we get to know Melinda. So Melinda, welcome to the podcast. We're so glad you're here. Thank you so much for having me. I'm super excited to be here today. Yeah. So uh, we're going to go kind of backwards. Um, I I want to uh, tell everybody what I'm seeing right now because we're doing this over video. So you are sitting in an RV recording this. I and am. so tell me a beautiful tell us. view of the lake. Oh, see, you got, you got your water view there. <laughs> That's excellent. So how did you end up uh, in an RV at this point in your journey? Well, we chose to live in an RV. <laughs> okay. Um, my husband has always wanted to live in a tiny home. Okay. And I said, no way. Um, and then I said, okay, well, I'm up for that if it's on wheels and then we could adventure and go from place to place. Okay. So he had kind of an abrupt job change at the end of last year and it left us going, okay, do we really want to stay? We were living in a city in Northern California at the time. And we're like, okay, most of his business, he just, uh, started his own company. Most of his business was not where we were living. So it didn't really make sense for us to stay there. Um, he was having to get on a plane to mm. go see clients all the time. So, um, and then last year he had spent 150 days on the road. Wow. So he was gone a lot and I was solo parenting and homeschooling and writing and editing my book at the same time. So we just kind of looked at all of that and said, yeah, I don't want to do this anymore. And, Neither did we feel this big pull to go anywhere specific. Mm-hmm. Um, and we've moved around a lot, uh, not a lot, but a few major geographical moves. We met in Texas 17 years ago and spent five years in East Texas. Mm-hmm. Um, we've li- we lived in Portland, Oregon. We love the Pacific Northwest. That's where my husband's from and our kids were born. Um, and in the last six years, we've been in California, both the south and then the northern part. So we've moved a, a few times, kind of big changes. Never um, did we doubt that where we were going is exactly where God wanted us to be. But we just didn't really feel a pull to go anywhere specific. So we said, 
hey, what if we took some time to go explore some new places instead of just going there for the weekend? Mm -hmm. And this way, our whole family could go with my husband when he is gone working for like this week, he's got a 10 day work stint. And so we are all in the Dallas Fort Worth area with him. So that's fun. And, um, my oldest daughter, she's a fourth grader. And so the national park service gives every fourth grader a, it's called in, uh, kids in the park pass. So our whole family gets to adventure into the national parks for free this year. So kind of like all of these things lined up and we were able to take some money from the sale of our house and put it towards, um, we are living in a 42 foot uh, trailer, like fifth wheel trailer. Um, and so my kids have their own space in the back with the door and a little half bathroom. And we have our room in the front with a bathroom and there's living space in the middle. And, um, yeah. And this has been a month today marks our one month event, like anniversary on the road. So we're still learning. Okay. There's a steep learning curve. I was going to say, were you, were you a camper before or was, is this like your first time staying in a, in a RV park? Um, so we were tent campers okay. and even when the kids were babies, we did the whole pack and play and like my kids potty trained on a pink potty at a campsite with the tent and did all of that. My husband's okay. an Eagle Scout, so okay. he's done a lot of that, but this is our first trailer RV experience and yeah. it's so much nicer. I mean, the AC's running, yes. you know, you can have a hot shower, have a you know, almost a full size refrigerator freezer. So, so yeah, it's, it's not it's, camping. We're it's just glamping. Yeah, yeah. Oh, for sure. <laughs> yeah. 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 Good. And, and what God lessons are you learning so far through it? Oh my goodness. Um, just more and more yielding because plans change and, um, the schedule shifts mm. and the things that we had kind of tentatively put on the schedule have all kind of blown up and we've changed all of that about 10 times already, Wow! which is good. It's a good lesson for me because I, um, yeah, I tend to like to know the schedule in advance, well in advance. Mm-hmm. So it's good for me. Um, yeah. And I think there's just lessons about living in a small space and learning to live with less and conservation. And I think those are just all really good things for our family to learn for anyone to learn. Yeah. Um, And, um, I tend to be more of an introvert, which surprises some people. And so it's really, um, you, you can't be an introvert when you're doing this full time because I mean, the next person's 50 feet away. Mm. (laughs) Um, and it tends to make you dive into conversation really deep, which is something that I love. I'm not very good at the the surfacey stuff. So When you know that your neighbor might be moving in a couple of days and you hit it off, it tends to help the conversation go deep quickly, which is great. So that, that was what was, is most curious to me yeah. of like when you're, when you're living a nomadic experience, right? how do you cultivate community yeah. around you? We have not learned that lesson yet. Okay. Um, 
up until, so we are in this place where we're at for two weeks. Up until now, we've moved every four to six days. Okay. So we were on a bit of a deadline with both my husband and I, um, with our, you know, job. Yeah obligations. And so we were moving pretty quick from, um, Oregon down to Texas Okay, and didn't really stop that much. So we haven't connected with people now that we're here and we're going to be in the area for about six weeks in total. I think it's, we're going to connect with some people better. Yeah. And it's, um, you know, numerous people have told me if you can't build community, you know, in a neighborhood or where you live when your routine's the same as most of the people where you live, kids going to the same school and activities and church or whatever it is. If you can't do it there, then you probably can't do it anywhere. And so, um, mm. I, I don't think it's going to be a problem. We just need to be in one place for more than four days. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, that would be absolutely true. I mean, yeah. I, I, I can develop friendships pretty much overnight with people and then, yeah stay friends with them for a long period of time. Right. But I, I don't know what it would be like to do that again and again. Like I mentored right. a bunch of uh, kids over the years that were like their parents were missionaries or they were yeah. uh, military kids and yeah. they get like fatigued by developing yeah. those new relationships because of that cycle of right. connection feelings and then the sorrow of departure. And so right. there's that habit of like, ah, I'm just going to stay a little disassociated with you because yeah. I'm leaving again. Yeah. Um, yeah. So two things, my husband and I have traveled fairly extensively and we have friends like in almost every state. So that's one thing that we're looking forward to oh. is being able to reconnect with people. And so every state that we've stopped in, we've had a friend to go visit. Yeah. Okay. They don't always have kids. So that's yeah. been a little challenging for my children, but, um, it's given us something to look forward to in like mm -hmm. some sort of friendship. Um, and I think the other thing is in this nomadic lifestyle, most of the people that are choosing to do this full time, you already have a lot of things in common with them because oh. they're kind of like bucking the system a bit, right? Like when we sold, we sold our home and probably 75% of everything that we owned, Wow. to do this. Like we're, we chose to like really jump into it and we're like, okay, we're going to make a lifestyle change. We're going to live with less so we can experience more. And Excellent. our family has always been about like experiences, whether they're just like a weekend antique show or whether it's five days in Yosemite national park, or we're always wanting to create those moments, mm -hmm. uh, memories with our kids. Mm -hmm. And so I think you're just surrounded by a lot of people who are choosing to do the same thing. You know, mm. the specifics might look different. Not everybody's working. Some people have, you know, this is like their one year go crazy. Like we're going to see everything and then go home and go back to our life. Yeah. Um, but we've met several people. This is year two, year four, year seven, wow. and this is just what they do. That's awesome. So yeah. interesting, as you said, experiences, making memories, uh, adventure. So passionate about connected relationships is why I'm asking about how to cultivate community. Yeah. But part of the connected relationships that are, are the most precious are the ones within our family unit. And so we've had um, one gal on the podcast, my regular co-host, Kaylee, and she had this big travel adventure and we, it's all about how do you make memories as a family? And there are yeah. different ways to do it. The parks oh. is one of those. 
Yeah. And then there's another gal that will be, her episode hasn't aired yet. It might air by the time yours does. Uh, Kim Amici on cultivating uh, family values mm. and family culture, which is yeah. what you're doing. And I know you yeah. call your family, is it the wolf pack? The wolf pack. Yeah. Okay. So where did that come from? <laughs> Uh, there's like no spiritual symbolism or it was not an intentional thing. I was literally rubbing one of the girls backs at night as we were doing prayer time before they went to bed. And she kind of like let out like a little puppy, like wolf <laughs> call, like, Oh, Oh, Oh. And then it just has evolved into this thing. So we had t-shirts made up a couple of years ago and like our family howls at each other every night before the kids go to bed. And if we're like out, can't like if we're out like hiking or even we were in a Walmart and one of the kids had kind of wandered off. And so we just were like, oh, 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 and they responded back. And so it's, yeah, we call our trailer the Wolf Den. And yes, excellent. Um, yeah, it's just this quirky little thing that we do. And just to kind of jump off of your, the idea um, about like cultivating family values, you know, people keep asking us because our routine has been anything if consistent. (laughs) Yeah. Right. But really like the rhythms of your family are things that are there regardless Mm -hmm. of what your circumstance looks like. And I remember sitting in on a teaching session and hearing the speaker say that like routines are something that can be broken. Um, you know, they're very, Mm -hmm. Uh, legalistic. It's something that's the parameters are very firm versus a rhythm is it's move. Like it's a, uh, a musical term, like there's movement in your rhythm. And so like things for us that have stayed the same is like bedtime routines. Mm. We take the kids in every night. If we're not with them, then we're still on the phone with them. We have this ritual called thankfuls it started years and years ago where we just talk about what are the things that we're thankful for today. And when they were younger, it was like going to the park and seeing Mm -hmm. a butterfly or a new pack of crayons. And, and we try and make it specific to the day. So no matter how bad a day we've had, because there's been some rough ones, both traveling and not, um, even in the, on the worst day, we really want our children to know that like gratitude is a choice Yes. And that, um, and we always have something to be thankful for. And that's how we can, you know, do what God asks us to do, which is in all things, give thanks. It doesn't mean we give thanks for the bad stuff, mm-hmm. but it means that even sitting in the midst of something that might not be fun, there mm-hmm. is something to be thankful for. So that's like just one of many rhythms that we've held on to, even though we've traveled through like eight states in the last month and yeah. been all over the place. So I think creating those rhythms is really important. Really important. Those are the things that the girls are going to remember what you do more than where you do it. I mean, where you do it might have, have memories. So we, um, you know, I don't know if you know this about me, but we lived at a boarding school for 18 years. Okay. And so in our 18 years at the boarding school, we moved seven times. So all different houses. We were in a girl's dorm. We were in a boy's dorm. We were in a rental house. We were in a school. Oh my house. Goodness. It was, I was either having babies, uh, having surgery because I had surgery in my knee and, and my sinuses at one point or moving houses every summer. That was like, <laughs> that was our thing. So the kids will remember traditions 
sometimes linked to a location of a house. Like Leah might say, remember when I was little and I used to say good, you know, the good morning doves, like morning doves, she would see them out of the back windows. And it was at this one house that that was where it was, we'd get up and we'd say, this is the day the Lord has made, you know, let us rejoice and be glad in it. And that's how I would greet the twins in the morning. And then she would say, and then I would come down and say hello to the good morning doves. And mm. so it w- that's a house specific memory, but it's because of the words and the interactions that right. were exchanged. And so right. it's the, re- it comes back to relationship rather than anything else. Right. Absolutely. Not. So let's talk about your book. Yeah. Let's talk about uh, obedience over hustle. And I love that you began with a defining hustle. I thought that Mm. was fascinating. So tell us a little bit about that and tell us, tell, yeah, just give us. Yeah. So um, a lot of people that I've talked to since the book came out, they really don't understand the term. And I think unless you're fairly steeped in the social media, um, you know, modern culture, the word hustle probably doesn't have the same negative connotations. You know, they think, okay, hustle out the door or hustle on the football field, or, Mm -hmm. you know, they know the dance. I think it was like seventies or maybe the early eighties. Right. Um, but for me, that word was negative. And so I really wanted to figure out where the roots were. And so when I looked at the usage over the past, you know, several years in comparison to a hundred years ago, like a hundred years ago, a hustler was not a good thing, right? A swindler, a cheat, a prostitute, like it was not something that you would want to define yourself as. Right. And it was just really interesting that the usage was on the, like on the increase as much as it was versus the word obedience, which I also defined and its usage was very much on the decline. So, Mm -hmm. um, you know, I also defined like good work ethic because a lot of Christians had a problem with me saying, Hey, let's just slow down. And I'm like, Hey, I'm not, I'm not against hard work. Like Mm -hmm. I said earlier, you know, I single parented essentially when my husband traveled last year and wrote and edited a book and homeschooled my kids. So I'm all about hard work. I think Mm -hmm. that God is, that's something that God wants for us, but hard work crosses over into workaholism Mm -hmm. when we start sacrificing things in order to achieve a goal. And that's the definition of a workaholic is somebody Mm -hmm. who is constantly sacrificing in order to achieve and achieve a goal. And when I look at what most often gets sacrificed, it's the relationship. Yep. It's our families. And I think most people on their deathbed, it's not them longing for another day in the office, another day mm-hmm. at work. It's them wishing they could go back and go to their kids' soccer games or show up for the recitals or just be more present when they're at mm-hmm. home instead of, yeah, you're not at the office, but you're still on your phone for several hours and mm-hmm. the kids are off playing by themselves. and. So when I define the terms like that, I think it's very easy to see how our culture is just steeped in this idea that unless you are working hard all the time, Mm -hmm. you know, slaying your goals, all these like trendy, trendy sayings, 
um, then God is displeased with you or you're not doing enough or, Mm -hmm. um, and it's just exhausting living in that all the time. And I know that's where I found myself four years ago and God, God just said, okay, well, do you trust me? Like, I want you to give something up. And either I can become your provider, Melinda, or you can continue to think that you are the best provider for yourself. And what he wanted me to do is give up my day job. And so that's what I did. And Mm -hmm. I just, I walked away, even though, so at the time we were living in Orange County, California. So fairly expensive. Very expensive. Yeah. My husband was working in a church, so not an executive salary by any stretch of the imagination. Nope. And we had just moved from our two-bedroom apartment on the third floor into a rental home, which we were so excited about that it increased our expenses by about 30%. And when I quit my job, that was 30% of our monthly income. So not exactly the most wise financial decision. No. Um, But we did it anyway. And within two months, my husband's side business, which we never marketed, was bringing in more than what I had earned. Mm-hmm. And, um, and it just crazy, like client, um, interactions where people, Hey, I saw your Instagram feed. Would you come and work, do some work for us? Yeah. And he's like, sure. How did you find me? Yeah. So it was just the Lord. And so the last four years have been us just walking out this, I'm going to choose to do things, not just what God says or what God asked me to do, but I'm going to do it in his timing Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, because mm -hmm. I think the challenge for a lot of us is, okay, I have a dream. I have a God dream. I'm going to do this thing, start this ministry, start this business, write a book, start a podcast, whatever it is. Mm -hmm. And we think that because it's a God dream that it means for it to happen tomorrow. Yeah. Yeah, And so we work really, really hard, tend to get burned out. Yeah, And sometimes God's just saying, Hey, this is the idea. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it's, you know, get after it. But I think a lot more times it's, I want it to happen in my time. So yeah. just slow, slow down. I know. And, um, so a lot of the book is kind of exploring that those conversations that I think the Lord wants us to explore through, you know, the story of Abraham and Sarah or the story of Gideon or the story of Joshua or Joseph or King David or Peter in the new Testament or people who received healing. Like what, what is it that God asked them to do? Did they obey? Mm-hmm. And what was the attitude and the circumstances around their obedience? Mm-hmm. I love it. It, I, I am like a walking textbook example of your, of your point entirely. <laughs> and, and if anybody's been following along through more to be they're they're seeing it unfold, but I've never told the whole story. And I think it would be relevant to kind of give some pieces to it now Yeah, because it just paints a perfect example. Perfect. So when we left the boarding school to come here, I felt like I lost everything. Uh, I lost the mentoring ministry that I was heavily involved in. I thought I was never going to be able to do that again. More to be was built on working with teenage girls. And so I'm like, I had none except for my own. And I didn't want to write or speak about their, their experiences because I wanted them to be able to be teenagers without a magnifying glass on them. Right. And so 
I didn't know when we moved here how um, how much God had put us in the middle of horse country. I had no idea. I did because there was this farm that we passed from uh, the school that my husband took a job at to the house we ended up buying. But I, I knew nothing more than that. I didn't know that there was a neighborhood over from us, a horse farm. I didn't, I didn't have any idea of, that we were, you know, 30 miles from the Olympic training center for the U S equestrian team. Like this is where we're at. And my dream since I was a little girl was to live on a farm and be able to ride my horse to the mailbox. And I'm like, so for three years, four years, we're just going into our fifth, three years. I basically shook, shook my fist at God. How dare you put me in the middle of horse country when I can't afford to ever own a horse. And then I have to pass these farms over and over again. And I can never have that. I mean, we're talking weeping, weeping. And I felt like God was just this big meanie to know Mm. the desires of my heart and put me in this place and not be able to experience it. Yeah. My daughter started horseback riding. We can't afford to, and that, that was an act of faith to even put her in that. And we've often sat there thought that was so stupid. How could we ever do that? We just basically said yes to like financial strain is what we said yes to. And, and this was her desire from the time she was three. Um, and only not even because we ever exposed her. She went on a couple of trail rides with me and my sister. It's just in her, like it was in me. And, you know, we, it was just, it was really hard. And, and I, I would pray, God, you know, you know, my big dream, my big dream is, is to, to be able to use horses in coaching. Now it evolved from the farm to ride my own horse to the mailbox, uh, which I've since discovered is actually not even a wise thing to do because the <laughs> amount of time it takes to catch the horse, saddle the horse to get to the mailbox, you could walk there faster. But <laughs> But, um, you know, wanted this and that dream evolved into equine assisted coaching. Mm-hmm. And I could see how it would work by watching my daughter ride each week and seeing the horses and, and imagining what this could be. But again, I'm a coach with no horses and my daughter wants a horse of her own. And God, why did you bring us to this place to be tortured emotionally <laughs> over right. and over again? had a dream for a place called the farm at Sela. I even bought the URL because I thought one day God will give me that farm. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm like, you know, really believing in that. And, and like you said, his timing, mm-hmm. the problem is when we start to kind of take it into our own hands. Yeah. And I was, and I could tell you two years ago, my fists were clenched around this. And I was scheming and plotting and trying to figure out, well, if we did this and if I worked harder and if I made more money and I, you know, we're dependent on my income to pay the bills. Like there's, I have to work. Yeah. And either it's going to be doing coaching and teaching coach training and selling resources at more to be, or I'm going to have to go get a job someplace else. Like I will have to work because my husband's a Christian school teacher and that's the way that goes. Right. But I was killing myself, Melinda, to try to earn enough extra money, enough extra money, because then I could have this dream. Right. And a year and a half ago, my, my back went out. I was having health issues. Like it was just, I was a hot mess physically, which is a sign of workaholism, right? You have, you have physical burnout, you have emotional burnout. 
I didn't want to work anymore. I mean, it was, it was bad. I was in a bad place and I uh, ended up surrendering it to the Lord. Mm -hmm. The domain was up for renewal and I didn't renew it. Mm. And I said, God, it's not going to happen. And I, I trust you with this. Uh, well, I think it was not even two weeks later. I was, I was visiting a brand new friend who owns a farm with a herd of 18 horses. And she said, I need you to exercise my horses. Mm. And here's this horse, Lindy. I think you two would be a good fit. And I have, I am now six months later, completely invested in her ministry, uh, which is an equine assisted therapy and learning program, working with teenage girls. I just spent the whole weekend mentoring teenage girls with horses. My daughter's been given a horse to care for that she, you know, counts as her own heart horse, even though we don't own these horses. Right. And, and the entire vision of what I wanted to do is coming into full fruition. Mm-hmm. And the thing is, I started honoring Sabbath, a 24-hour Sabbath period, uh, about mm-hmm. four weeks ago. And I've been scaling my hours back from 60 hours a week. It went to 50 to 40. Now it's 30 hours a week. And, and it's God's timing. Totally. Yet the right thing at the wrong time is the wrong thing. Always. Mm-hmm. Always. And so what would you say if somebody wants to respond to that? The right thing at the wrong time is the wrong thing. Yeah. What are symptoms of that? What are, what are signs I, of that? I think everything you said, uh, mental, like mental burnout, physical burnout, uh, strain with your relationships, the not sleeping at night, like those are all really good indicators that something is wrong and something has to give, like ultimately something needs to yield in your life. Yeah. yeah. Not that God doesn't give it, like he gives us more than enough grace to go through hard situations. But I think a lot of times the hard things that we are enduring are self-inflicted. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Do you have and a personal experience with that? Um, not specifically. I just, you know, when I look at scripture and like, okay, Joseph, for example, okay. 17 okay, year old kid has this grand dream. Well, what would have happened if God had have handed that dream to a 17 year old punk kid yeah. who loves to rub into his older brother's faces? The fact that he's like this chosen child. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Like, probably would not have stewarded the whole seven years of plenty, seven lean years well in Egypt, right? Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, the reason why Joseph had to wait until he was 30 is because he had to learn some serious humility and life lessons Mm. and gain some experience and learn how to serve other people really well and work on his character and integrity. And I think that's where a lot of us are. Like we have the dream, we want it to happen our way. And so we're just arrogant a little bit and we're just trying to make it happen on our own. I look at Abraham and Sarah and Hagar, like was the dream Mm -hmm. for Abraham to have a son? Yes. Yes. What happened when Abraham took it upon himself to make the dream unfold in his timing, in his way? giant mess. 
I know. To the tune that like all these thousands of years later, we have these nations that are still warring it with each other. Now, can God redeem anything? Absolutely. Mm -hmm, can mm -hmm. God take the mess and make it holy? Absolutely. But was that God's best plan? No. No. And yet, you know, I would say if we had the opportunity to interview, you know, Abraham right now, yeah, he, he would sit here and Sarah would say, but I thought I was doing the right thing. Like, I thought I was helping God. <laughs> yeah. You know? Yeah. And I, yeah. And I think it's us saying, God, I know better. So this is taking a little bit too long. So I'm just going to take it into my own hands and I'm going to make it happen the way I want it. The way yeah. I think it's supposed to happen. Yeah. Um, and it's just, it's us thinking that we know better than him, that our wisdom is greater yeah. or that our vantage point is better instead of going, okay, this isn't unfolding like I thought, so maybe I got the timing wrong. And, and there's yeah. nothing wrong with that. And I think we tend to go into like the shame room when that happens, when we need to mm -hmm. step back and say, okay, I thought that this was going to unfold the way mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I'm working towards it. Mm -hmm. And um, one of the other stories that I dove into is like the Martha and Mary scenario that I think is told at every women's event everywhere. Oh, gosh, yeah. Oh, right. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, and I think what most of us, I know for me growing up and attending church events, it was Martha's great. Mary's great. Martha stinks. Everybody has to be more like Mary. And when I read that story with fresh eyes, like Jesus never shames Martha. Mm -mm. He mm -mm. never calls her work bad. He doesn't get after her for like being a busybody. And I want to believe that Martha was probably working out of some obligation, first century Jewish culture as a woman. My job is to serve the men in the household. Yep, yep. But I want to believe that she's also operating out of her gift of hospitality or her yeah. love to serve others. She's maybe a two on the Enneagram. Like she just loves to help people. Yeah. She's the hostess with the mostess. And Jesus never says that any of that's bad. Yeah. He never calls it bad. He doesn't tell her to stop doing everything. He just says you're concerned with many things and only a few are needed. And what Mary has chosen is better. And I think that's like the freedom that a lot of women need to hear because mm -hmm. they're doing all of these things in an attempt mm -hmm. to earn like validation or to feel significant or to feel like, okay, I'm pursuing my purpose. And so therefore my life has significance. And I think if Jesus were sitting in the room with all these burned out moms and women, he would just say, Hey, you're concerned with many things, yeah. but only a few are needed. And when we choose the few, then it makes saying no to all of the other uh -huh. things really easy. <laughs> it's so much easier. And it's easier, I think, as you age. Like, it's easier for me, at, at I just turned 46, like, to be able to say, like, that's just not important anymore. You just have, like, a perspective. We have aging parents, like, my right. kids are not babies anymore. Right. And I'm able to look at like, what have I done with my life that I want to keep doing that was right. good? And where have I wasted time, wasted gifts, wasted and emotional energy? And so it's right. a whole lot easier for me to say no to things now right? and not care what people say of me than it was five or 10 or 15 years ago. Right. 
Yeah, and I look forward to just even more and more of that for sure. Oh, it, it's and you know I've done a lot of heart work and head work. I mean I've spent lots of hours in counseling to yeah. drill down to my motive because when right. we can't say no. It's because we're having some sort of identity crisis. I'm totally. convinced of that. Whatever we feel like we have to say yes to, it's because there's this driving force of, but what will people think of me? Or what yep. will people say of me? Or what will happen right. next time? And right. all of those voices drown out God speaking to us and saying, you're already loved. You're already right. mine. You already belong to me. And so are you going to listen to me or are you going to listen to all of that? And right. it just gets scarier and scarier, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah. So I know you had a Bible passage for us and I'd love yeah. for you to kind of bring it, bring it out and, and, and set the context. You said Luke 22 yep. verse 42, 42 in particular, but, but set it up and tell us why this is something yeah. we should meditate on. Yeah, it's kind of like if I had to boil the whole book down to one one theme, one idea, one verse, this is what it is. And it's the story, the context is Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane. It's the night he's going to be betrayed and arrested and turned over. And um, they're in the garden praying. And it's the scene of Jesus, the Son of God, kneeling in humility and saying, not my will, but yours be done. Mm -hmm. And the story as I wrote it in the book is what creation would have felt like watching as the son of God, one of the Trinity is literally kneeling in the garden and asking God, if they're God, the father, if there's another way, like this is one of three who was there when the trees and the grass and the stars were all spoken into existence. Mm -hmm. And the God who spans the universe with his hand is now saying, is there another way? And he knows that there isn't. And so if Jesus can obey God, the father mm. in a matter of literal life and death of separation from his father, then why can't I obey God when the stakes are so much less? Mm. And so that's really like people ask all the time, okay, well, what's the greatest, like, um, you know, biblical narrative that you can pull out of the book. And it's this, like Jesus was obedience in the flesh. Mm -hmm. And if my goal in life is to emulate him and he is my chief example, then he obeyed to the death. Mm -hmm. Like he, mm -hmm. he, he said, not my will. Mm -hmm. And, um, and I think that's the lesson is it doesn't matter what I think about what God's asking me to do. It doesn't matter if I like it. It doesn't mm -hmm. matter if I, how I feel about it. Mm -hmm. It doesn't matter whether I think I'm qualified enough or educated enough, or if I have enough money or if I'm the right person for the job, like, if he's asked me to do something, then he is all, all knowing and all powerful and he doesn't make a mistake. So what he's asking me to do is what he's asking me to do. Mm -hmm. And my only response should be yes. So how do you know that God's asking you? How do you know that it's him? Yeah. So that's a great question. Um, several, several practical pieces on that. One is my kids know my voice. 
when I'm at the park and there's 50 other kids, if I yell out my kid's first name or first and second name, oh, yes, they, know, they know my voice and it's because I spend time with them. And so the more that we, the closer that we walk with Jesus and the more time we spend with him, the the louder his voice becomes and the better we are able to identify it. And then I think the other thing is having people in our lives who also know how to hear the voice of the Lord and can help us course correct when we aren't sure mm-hmm. or when we need the confirmation. Um, you know, God will do anything to get our attention. And I love that. And I think having good people in our lives mm-hmm. to, you know, bounce ideas off of, or, Hey, this is what I'm feeling. What do you think about that? Will you pray with me about that? I mean, obviously my husband is my number one for that. There's been so many times over the years mm-hmm. he said, okay, so are you hustling to make that happen? And it's so great when he uses my message against me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right, um, right, right. But then just having like friends that I can call or text and say, Hey, this is what I'm feeling. What do you think about that? Like, does that align with how you think that I'm wired? Like, is this a good opportunity for me? Um, I'm really struggling with this thing that God's asking me to do. I need you to help me pray into it. So Mm -hmm. I think those are Mm -hmm. kind of like top two. Yeah, I would, I would echo those. I know. Well, I mean, I hear this all the time from women through more to be is that they feel like they just can't read the word like for themselves that they don't doesn't make sense to them. And I would say, you know, there's an invitation that's always open to join us at more to be in studying the word. And so we have the more to be Facebook group and have the raw scripture study as a as a method with verses already set there to read those in context. And I, I think in the same way that you talk about obedience, there's discipline. And so oh. it's the sit and do it and don't, don't do it because you anticipate the outcome. Do it because you, you know that you're being obedient to read God's word, to study God's word, and that the Holy Spirit will bring it alive and quicken your heart to it so that you know his voice and feel it um, right. personally. And then I love your check and balance system of, well, you know what? We can our heart is wickedly deceitful. So we can be off. Yeah. And and then bring that before spouse, best friends, you know, a a biblical counselor, a biblical leadership. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. So let me, um, I'm going to read the passage because we always do that on, on the podcast. And then if you have any closing thoughts on that, I'd love to hear if you want to add one or two more things and then we'll close in prayer. Sound good. Great. Awesome. So uh, I'm picking up at verse 39, Jesus um, prays on the Mount of Olives. Then accompanied by the disciples, Jesus left the upstairs room and went as usual to the Mount of Olives. There he told them, pray that you will not give into temptation. And so there's something we could obey, right? We can take that as, as commands for us. He walked away about a stone's throw and knelt down and prayed, Father, if you are willing, please take this cup of suffering away from me. Yet I want your will to be done, not mine. Then an angel from heaven appeared and strengthened him. He prayed more fervently. He was in such agony of spirit that his sweat fell to the ground like great drops of blood. At last, he stood up again and returned to the disciples, only to find them asleep, exhausted from grief. Why are you sleeping? He asked them. Get up and pray so that you will not give in to temptation. Powerful passage of seeing the humanness of God. And, yeah. and yet his, 
his part in the in the trinity in the the godhead yeah where he laid down his life for us and i think sometimes we just focus on the suffering that's in the cross and we forget the suffering that happened before he even hung on the cross absolutely the sorrow the sorrow that uh where does it say um that the even to see that the disciples were exhausted from grief that there's a there's a physical impact of an emotional experience yeah and for us to be attuned to that in our our lives kind of that are we i mean I, i'm a self-declared workaholic in recovery and so um my check and balance system is am i am i exhausted am i burnt out am i um Am I striving? And you say that in the book to cease the striving. Right. So anything else you want to add as a closing thought that you want our listeners to take away? Um, I think, yeah, Jesus never called us to be busy. Mm-hmm. He asks us to do many things, but he doesn't ever, his command is never go and be busy. Mm. And I think in our world of just being super connected and, you know, online all the time. And, um, I think rest and true, like, so you're talking about Sabbath, like that's something our families really tried to embrace in the last couple of years of we're going to work really hard the day before. So yeah. we don't have to work hard on the Sabbath. So for me, that's like preparing meals so that I'm not having to cook all day, not being online, Making sure that the people that we, if we, if we do connect with other people, it's people that are good for our souls and our spirits. We're not like hosting and it's not out of obligation. They're people that will fuel us and that we're doing, we're not just like zoning out in front of the TV all day, but we're doing things to nourish our spirit. So, um, I think just walking away from that frenzied life of the Mm -hmm. hustle and the striving and learning to Sabbath well is, um, I think that's going to become a new trend. I hope, I hope it becomes a new trend. I hope so too. I think it's the uh, antidote to the hustle. For sure. Right. Cause once you taste what life is like in that oh. Sabbath and, and it's been hard for me for the last two weekends because I was, I traveled so that threw everything off and then right. we had a lot of commitments over the weekend. And so I was able to like part Sabbath in that, yeah. uh, I stayed offline. I didn't do any work actually for like a 48 hour period of time, which is remarkable. There I go. go. But I didn't have the unscheduled time and the like, and I missed it. So once you start it, you will recognize the, the absence of it. And then that drives the discipline. Right. I love what you said to prepare hard really for the, opportunity to rest and fellowship. And I I really, I think I'm going to adopt that boundary of are these soul filling people, which at this point, God's been kind. And that's pretty much what we have in our life right now. That's awesome. So, so, but, but there can be times that it feels obligatory and to to guard against that too. Yeah. Sacred space. Awesome. Well, would you be comfortable praying for us before we go? Yeah. Great. God, you're so good, and I thank you that you're unchanging, and I thank you that um, your word is full of um, truth and grace and commands that are unchanging as well, and so things like Sabbath and resting well is not a new idea, and it's not something that you've changed your mind about, Mm -hmm. (laughs) 
And um, I just pray grace and rest over the listeners. I pray that they would um, really learn to embrace this idea that was um, around even before the Ten Commandments. It's something that you taught us about way back in the garden, mm-hmm. that, that rest is important. And if the God of the universe needs a day off in seven, then certainly we would do well to do the same. Mm-hmm. God, I, I thank you for every listener who's t- tuning in. And God, I ask that you would speak to them in a specific way, that you would use whatever words have been spoken to minister to their hearts and their minds, that they would be refreshed, that they would be challenged, and that they would be encouraged. Mm. And that you would um, flex their faith muscles as they step into greater areas of obedience, Mm. trusting you at your word, believing that you are faithful and true. And um, God, I just thank you for this opportunity. I pray that you have blessed Lisa and more to be ministry and the people that they serve. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, Melinda. So everybody can find you at melindafuller.com. Yep, melindafuller.com or obedienceoverhustle.com. And then I'm online, mostly um, Instagram and melinda.org. Good. And the book is available online? Everywhere, yep. Uh, Amazon, Target, Walmart, online, Barnes & Noble, all the Christian retailers have it. So awesome. Which yeah. happen to be less and less retailers. So I know. So <laughs> go buy it at a Christian retailer if you can yeah, to keep those yeah. places afloat. Absolutely, absolutely. Thank you so awesome. much for having me. You're welcome. Thank you everyone for listening to the More to Be podcast. We are praying you've experienced a fresh encounter with God and his word during your time with us today. If you'd like to show your support for the ministry of More to Be and our podcast, we'd love for you to become a More to Be Sisterhood member. You'll be blessed with our signature courses and resources while being a blessing to others. To learn more, visit moretobe.com slash podcast for a special link. May you continue to think biblically and live transformed to be more like Jesus as you seek to join God in his work every day.